What's up, Jay Brones? Live from Brooklyn, New York, and Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, this is the Torture Rack Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bask. My co-host is John F. Malta, and we are very happy to be here with you, our friends in wrestling. John, say something. Let the people know you're alive, pal. Torture Act issue four, available for pre-order at this very second. www.torturact.com You can pick up your copy. Hit up the shop, get a $5 discount if you order the pre-order bundle, which includes Torture Act issue four, 160 illustrated pages of professional wrestling, and Torture Act... The Pocket Reader Companion, Step Into the World of Torture Act. A.K.A. the Torture Act Bathroom Reader. (laughs) That should have been what it was really called, yeah. The Torture Act Bathroom Reader. That's the short We in the the industry know what it really is. (laughs) Yeah, just uh, put that on top of your Pro Wrestling Illustrated in your bathroom. Everyone has a stack of Pro Wrestling Illustrated in their bathroom. Some 1990s Raws, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Torture Act. Step into the world of Torture Act. Torture Act issue four does not belong in your bathroom, belongs on your coffee table. And um, if you don't have a coffee table, it could be your coffee table because it's so goddamn big. You just put four rocks under it. Boom. <laughs> big shout out to Ukulele Punk at Ukulele Punk on Instagram. The number one order on the Torture Act store. Thank number one order and book. also our number one shout out on our first episode. Very first episode, I had received a package of prints from West and gave him a shout out our first episode. This is episode six now, and six episodes later, he is the first one to have bought the issue first. Uh, He uh, sent you a very cool Darby Allen photo, as I recall. Totally, yeah. Uh Still need to buy a frame for it, but getting there. Frame that Darby. Totally. I'm over here sipping on a liquid death. What do you got going on over there, Mark? I have uh, Montelier. It's uh, natural source, carbonated natural spring water from Sainte Brigitte de Laval, Quebec. <laughs> Step into the world of Montelier. That's not the tagline. <laughs> it's a pretty good tagline, though. Uh, this is from the Australian Alps. Liquid death, murder your thirst. This is- uh, John, the only man I know who gets his water mail ordered. <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't really left. I actually haven't. I have not left since the last time we recorded this pod, the last episode of the podcast. I've still been in self-quarantine. I have kind of... You're, you're still stuck in RoboCop 2 over there in New York? Exactly. Well, and New York has opened up a bit. Like, you can go to the beach, you can go to the parks, you could get dinner on a roof outside with social distance tables... But I'm not comfortable doing that. And I just don't think, I don't know, yeah, it's not worth it to me to go out to eat. I, I also prefer to just stay home, draw, and watch wrestling. So this is like kind of a dream year for me right now. Uh, so if you can imagine how much time you're spending drawing and watching wrestling, that is how much time I am watching wrestling and getting absolutely nothing accomplished. <laughs> just... Total, just total waste of time. Dude, you're an encyclopedia over there now, though. Yeah, you, yeah, we've been watching a lot of matches. I, I counted up the matches we watched for this episode. It's been 47 matches. It's a lot of matches. Okay, but that's that's a little bit misleading because we named 45 last yeah, week. Yeah, so we've watched we did... almost 100 matches now. No, 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 no. You're you're being deceptive. <laughs> uh, 
we talked about 45 matches last week, but we only ended up talking about pretty much just New Japan and uh, GCW the world. GCW. We didn't talk at all about AEW last week just because we were watching so many matches. So we have a buildup of two darks and two dynamites. Uh, dynamites. That, that, I guess that's true. So more realistically, I guess you could chop that in half. But I mean, oh, so over two weeks, we've watched probably about 60 or so matches. And in thinking about that, I am never just sitting. There's almost never a time where I sit down and just watch matches. Like I'm always drawing. And I've mentioned on this podcast before that a lot of my barometer for like what uh, I would consider a good wrestling match or what grabs my attention is how much I draw versus how uh, much I'm watching the show. So I guess for me, it is how much I'm engaged with the match and how, or how much I'm just kind of like on my phone scrolling Instagram or looking up history of like something I need to know about whatever match I'm like watching. what has happened in this match and why. Yeah. And it's true though. That's how I base my star ratings. Like when I'm absolutely fucking glued to the screen. Um, it's a similar barometer. Yeah. Like what, what's really grabbing your attention and holding your attention and also just that feeling I get sometimes, like I'm watching wrestling and I just get that feeling. I'm like, God, this is fun. Like we're watching Dynamite and there's like just a solid, really good tag match going on. And I'm just like, ah, this is fun. You know, you just get that feeling like I like. This. Yeah, I felt that way watching your class of match from last week with Flair versus Steamboat. Just it's hard totally. to not like I didn't draw at all during that. And it's hard to not like watch that. And just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. And it's two wrestlers that I personally haven't watched a lot of matches of, Flair and Steamboat. And to be so gripped by that was, like, really enjoyable. It is, like, the the reason why I love watching wrestling. Like, these two people come together, like, flip the top of their game and tell this huge story within the match where the crowd, the wrestlers, the ref, the commentators, all these things converge together and create this like piece of art basically yeah totally um that has jr commentary right yeah jr's on commentary and he crushes it's really good that that it his voice is like a whole different like tone like it's like he it's like jr on helium or something (laughs) yeah it it would be like yeah it's like amping up yeah if you put if you like he if he took a hit of helium and then did commentary why is his voice so much higher than than it is now why he was just younger like he's like it's like, oh, hey, it's good old JR. Before he's like, hey, it's good old JR. <laughs> and he's always like it amped was, up because the crowd's so energy is so high. He's like always he's like amped super up. amped. Yeah, he's like yeah. so amped up. He's like, my God, my God, Steamboat, <laughs> he's back up. And now, like, I don't know. He just, it's he's like, like antithesis of that, basically. Like that call. When he's he, so lackadaisical these days. Like when he was upset that he he knew more. Kind of like the, his, the inflection in his tone in contrast when he knew Butcher was a bass player. And he so like glumly says he was a bass player to Chris Jericho. He was a bass player. <laughs> I, 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 we've talked about this before, but my dream, if I could, if I could just control who was on the booth, uh, it would be this is an a- Tony Schiavone. Sorry, yes, AEW. Um, on Dynamite, it would be Tony Schiavone on the call. Um, Chris Jericho on the color, and then your third man is um. Damn, who was I? Who did I say the third man? I guess Excalibur. No, Taz oh. is your third man. I remember we oh. talked about this. It's <laughs> I'm remembering. How could you forget no, no, Taz? No, 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 because it's Taz and Excalibur on Dark. Right, but I thought you said that Jericho, Taz, and Tony? Or is it Jericho, JR, and Tony? 
I guess, yeah, I guess just, yeah, I guess Jericho, JR, and Tony. I just uh, knew that, I remember when you first said this to me in a chat, I was, I, we didn't really go, I didn't really go in on you on this, but like, I love Excalibur. And was surprised oh, you no, would drop I, him out for Jericho. No, 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 no. It's not, no, it's nothing about the, it's, it's not about that. It's that I think a booth really only has to be two people, like realistically. So if you have Tony Schiavone on Dynamite making like most of your wrestling calls, and then you have Jericho doing the color, like that's pretty much that's all you, you need. need. Yeah. J- yeah. JR is your third man there to add that gravitas of hearing like him and Tony of like, the people you associate the voices of wrestling. Yeah, JR's there for like the early... big spots, yelling Moxley and Omega. Like he I I have really loved like for the different like criticisms there have been for his commentary, I have loved that he's been a part of this and a part of the inception of AEW where we look back at the tapes of like the first dynamite where Moxley uh DDT's Omega through the glass table. And within that, JR is yelling Moxley and Omega. And even going back to yeah. the first uh, pay-per-view, Double or Nothing, you have JR screaming Moxley, Omega. And it does, yeah. Totally. It adds gravitas. It brings, it makes it feel, reminds us of the Attitude Era and makes it feel such, I don't know, it's, 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 he's. A, it also reminds of, of like the peak period WCW when Tony and JR were on the call there. Oh, good call. Yeah, totally. Um, so I, yes, as much as I complain about JR like not being, you know, in his in his in his prime, other than just being like totally thirsty <laughs> all the time on commentary. Um, but I think Taz and Excalibur are the perfect dynamite duo, especially now that Taz has transitioned from being like kind of an Excalibur into being kind of a Chris Jericho, like a heel, larger than life color figure on commentary. Like I am loving that. And I was just saying, like, if you had to, you know, if Excalibur was over there on Dynamite or on dark, then that would give room for Chris Jericho to kind of be more permanent. Cause did you see he's calling fighter fest? That's sick. No, I did not see that. At least next week, fighter fest, maybe not the whole fighter fest, but he is calling it. Yeah. Jericho is able to add just, he, he will throw out statements about all of the different, like a lot of this, like, I love that Jericho is so encouraging of all of their roster and is out on Twitter, like defending people like Orange Cassidy or Marco Stunt or Chris Statlander. Yeah. And then even on like on commentary, really selling like, well, JR, Chris Statlander's an alien. She does things differently than we do. Like those kinds of statements I love are how, incredible. I love how he's able to like cut a promo on someone, but not bury them. Yes. Yeah, like, totally. He, he, he doesn't, um, he doesn't say they're bad. He's like, you know, he'll be like, listen, Cody's great competitor. Like he's an amazing athlete, but I'm going to kick the shit out of him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's kind of his general vibe. Yeah. Um, he, he puts them over as talents as people that are worth of respect. Um, but maybe he just still doesn't or whatever. Like he's, he's a, he's a perfect heel. Like you said, to sell the, the younger generation. If you could only pick one commentator in the current landscape of professional wrestling to call your matches, who are you picking? Kevin Kelly. Took the words right out of my mouth. And this man, this fucking heavyweight, has been in isolation recording solo English commentary for, I think, 20 matches? Yeah, now in 20 the matches. Week? The first five nights of, well, 20, actually more than that, because 20, well, 20 matches for the New Japan Cup, plus each night has a mixed tag. So there's been oh my God. 
five nights, 25 matches total, called over two about two and a half weeks in self-isolation. Not even two and a half weeks, like one and a half. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, yeah, one and a half weeks. And he's, yeah, he's doing the heavy lifting. And th- there's moments throughout his commentary where he started asking himself questions. Like, <laughs> I, forget, I forget when he said it, but it, he said something like, you might ask, like, you might wonder, why did you ask that, Kevin? Well, I'll tell you. And then he, like, he, like, launches into a response to his own hypothetical question. Well, it must be so hard to, yeah, do, do a, like, a one-man booth like that. Yeah, totally. And... Dude, nights two, nights uh, nights three and four. I'm so happy that I listened to them with English commentary, because for the first two nights I was excited that New Japan was back, so I watched the Japanese commentary because I wanted to throw it on immediately. But with this, kind of wanted sure. to sync up, watch at least night three with you because it was so stacked, and also get to enjoy Kevin Kelly's calls again. Just really missed missed hearing him on a lot of those calls, and I feel like that's the sign of like a good commentator, like. Kevin Kelly and Excalibur both are in my mind when I'm watching wrestling. Like anytime someone does a tope, I want Excalibur there. Yes, that's a great point. Actually. And then anytime someone, anytime we need the history of what is happening explained, and also for those big moments too, I want Kevin Kelly there. Kevin Kelly does such a great job of layering in like 12 years of history in like three sentences and then talking about why that's happening in front of us now. Totally. And then whenever I want someone to respond to something like inflammatory, I want the cool, calm tones of Tony <laughs> Schiavone. Cool tone, Tony Schiavone. Cool tone. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have like Tad. Can we, just, tad. Can we please just call him Cool, cool tone. tone from now on? <laughs> yeah, sure. That's a great nickname for him. His sick diamond earrings. Is there like traditionally ever like a heel color commentator in New Japan? Yes. Gino Gambino is basically their heel commentator. <laughs> is he like just some like New York Italian? He's a big, dude? Yeah, he's, he's a big, uh, I believe he's from New Zealand. want to say oh. he's a big, he's a very big dude. Gino Gambino. Uh, I was about to do an impression of him, but you threw that New Zealand thing in and I'm. What's I your, <laughs> what's your, what did you think the impression of him was going to be? <laughs> oh, you know, like, Oh, hey, Gino Gambino. <laughs> oh, how you doing? No, not 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 close. Yeah. Oh, what are, who are these two guys in the ring? Yo and show more like Bebo and F- uh, we'll cut this out. Gino is typically the heel commentator for New Japan. Prior to Gino coming in, right now their booth is Chris Charlton, Kevin Kelly, Gino, sometimes Rocky Romero, Colt Cabana occasionally hopped in when he was there wrestling. But otherwise, yeah, right. I would have loved to have heard that. Colt was really good. It it, it only happened usually what it, it usually happened when Colt was booked. Almost only when Colt was booked in like an opening tag. It was when he was like tagging with Yano a lot, and the two of them, you know, they'd wrestle in like one of the opening matches, and then Colt would come out to call the rest of the match. Yeah, he's from uh, he's from New Zealand, Gino Gambino. Um, that is not where you think Gino Gambino is going to be from. Yeah, let me just say that. Uh, yeah, I could I could see why just with the with the name calls to mind. No, Melbourne, Australia is his place of birth. Ah, oh, and I just in my head was like, I think I got a New Zealand impression locked and loaded, and then you just threw me another curveball with the Australian. I play because ho- the last thing you want to do is confuse an Aussie from a Kiwi. Dude, totally. Uh, my, all apologies to Gino Gambino, but yeah, dude, night three. Of the New Japan Cup, 
insanely stacked card, like a ridiculously stacked card to the point that it, I don't really understand why this sector, like if you broke it up into the four opening nights, this third night has like all of the, almost everyone we were waiting to see. All the heavy hitters like Tanahashi, Zack Sabre Jr., Kota Ibushi, Taichi, um, Shingo Takagi, Sonata. Like pretty much yeah. everyone we've been waiting around to see wrestle again and wrestled this third night. It's even just like thinking about like the first couple nights, like we seen we got to see Ishii, which was awesome. We got to see Hiromu, we got to see Suzuki, and I think really those and oh and Ishimori. Those were maybe the four from the uh, left side of the bracket that I was like, oh, New Japan's back. Get to see Ishii again. Get to see Suzuki again. Hiromu, Ishimori, got to tear it up. But yeah, this then then you get to this night and it's like, oh, we get to see the ace, Tanahashi, Tai Chi, Ibushi, ZSJ, Taguchi, Sonata, Sho, and Shingo. It's wild. What did you think of the opening uh, six man tag? It was great. I liked that it was more of a like because a lot of the the first couple mix tags that we got were more um, New Japan Cup previews, and this mix tag I liked that it was Nagata leading the Young Lions against suzuki goon like this i feel like was more indicative of the openers that usually happen on a new japan card where it's usually one of the new japan dads and the young alliance against the heel faction a lot of the times it is uh suzuki goon that's i love how you call them the new japan dads yeah totally that's like a pretty accepted uh like term for like people like nagata uh tenzan hanma suzuki I would not lump. Or, I would not dare lump Suzuki into that category. No, because like the, I was gonna say, is he like the granddad? Nagata or? maybe is like I. I honestly, in my mind, up until his last match with Suzuki, would have lumped him into that. But he's went hard in that match, and we'll see probably a really sick match with him and Okada coming up next week too. So, I have to say, I called Suzuki a turtle without a shell last week, and then I saw this gif of him on Squared Circle. Um, just like removing his hood and I must've been like early nineties and he was a sexy jacked man at that point. Dude, absolutely. And I think the, the, I think the comment was, or the like heading of the post was stupid, sexy Suzuki. (laughs) Yeah. 1990s Pancreas dreamboat Suzuki. Yeah. Dude, this match was great. I absolutely loved Kevin Kelly calling this. Like I mentioned that I didn't, I, one of the reasons I waited to watch this with you is so I could hear Kevin Kelly's commentary and within this match all of Suzuki Goon is like choking out the other team and Kevin Kelly just kind of exasperate in an exasperated voice says a beautiful summer day for Suzuki Goon and like and then it cuts to uh Suzuki choking out Nagata with a mic cord <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was pretty I don't remember a lot from this match but I mean, it was I a fun. It was that. a classic fun heel versus young lions opener. The heels fucked up the young lions. Young lions battled back. Had a lot of good spots with Gabriel Kidd. He's someone that I was not familiar with prior to this New Japan Cup, so I don't know if he is new to me because he's not wrestled up and featured on the shows, or if he. I just haven't like he's not stood out to me over the last like year. But yeah, his intensity in this match was really great, and over these last few. Uh, matches he's had in this 2020 new japan cup i i become a fan and i'm excited to see him develop and see where he goes uh a few of the other young lions i've been a pretty big fan of like yota suji i've loved his intensity as well he brings kind of a similar intensity as uh gabriel kid does there was a great spot in this match where yota suji has a full boston crab 
uh, going, and he gets a, he starts absorbing kicks, and I feel like that's like he's like almost out of being a young lion. I feel like because he's like absorbing kicks from people who are on the established roster. He's looking pretty dominant in these matches. Maybe it's time for him to go on excursion so, and come back and be on the roster. Okay, full so time. you're gonna have to explain this <laughs> this whole thing to me. So you're a lion. And then you go. So you're a young lion in trading in the dojo. Then you go on excursion somewhere. What, so what does that, that mean? Like you go wrestle somewhere else. Uh, like oh, is that what Okada did when he went to TNA? Right. Yes, and uh, I believe so. I actually don't know off the top of my head, but yes, I'm pretty sure that's how Okada went to TNA, or why he would have gone to TNA. Um, that's very but interesting. Like, like uh, John Moxley's protege shooter. He is in, I believe he's in England right now. I forget what promotion he's with. Uh, but he, yeah, jo- John Moxley, if you remember from last year, took uh, Shota Uno under his wing and uh, he became like his Moxley's hype man, basically. They were a very great comedy duo throughout last year's uh, G1 because Moxley needed an intro tag partner. Fucked sh- Shooter up and then took him to the back, took him under his wing. He gave him Moxley gave him a Death Rider leather coat for uh, Christmas. Actually, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah, their friendship is one of my favorites in New Japan. Uh, but I think, I think he is in England, and then he'll come back, and then you know, hopefully blow up on the roster. He he. How long he, are these excursions? Like, I actually don't know. It's a good question. That's so cool. They're... yeah, it's a cool way to like you pre you get you basically get to preview this person see them train the young lions like as you've probably noticed are given a very limited move set that they're allowed to do that are safe right safe for them to do to work then they go on excursion kind of establish themselves establish character and then they come back i don't i'm not positive because i know can you imagine like vince mcmahon in like 2005 like just turning to or not like a little earlier than that just turning to like randy orton and john cena and being like all right now you go wrestle somewhere else go on excursion <laughs> and then come back yeah, like what? The, like they trained in OVW, and then yeah. after that, they go to like AAA in Mexico or like New Japan. Yeah, and then they con- they return. I mean, I think it's cool because it like I think with New Japan, it's like a way for them to foster relationships with other promotions, and it's just that's just such a cool way to to do have it. their stars develop and then come back. And it's like the crowd has seen these young lions, and now they're coming back as stars. Yeah, uh, I'll have to I'll have to look more into that. I'm pretty sure that was Okada's excursion. I know New Japan was uh, like his, they're historically upset how with how Okada was treated during that. Yes, I do remember that that they disrespected. And I was recently reading an interview with him about it, but I can't remember. Uh, yeah, if that was his Young Lion excursion, I would gather to say yes. But because uh, like, why else would Okada go to TNA from New Japan, <laughs> especially during that time period? Yeah, it's a really weird. Yeah. He's like, God, I just really want to fight Mick Foley. Scott Steiner. <laughs> Scott yeah. Steiner. Like the Big Papa Pump, Okada's coming. In like the 30th year of his wrestling career or something <laughs> like that. He's like, he's really at his peak, and I just want to take uh, late period Randy Savage from Spider-Man 1 to the limit. <laughs> I forgot that Randy Savage was in Spider-Man 1. I love when wrestlers show up in, in movies. Uh we just watched MacGruber, and I did. I forgot that uh, MacGruber's whole, for almost his whole first crew is wrestlers, including Chris Jericho. Oh my god, I forgot that. Yeah, I I, I don't remember who else is there. I think it's Chris Jericho, Kane. What? 
Now I have to rewatch uh, MacGruber. Maybe Big Show. Big Show is always involved in outside entertainment shit that WWE does. So I would imagine Big Show. And then maybe also MVP. It was someone that I didn't know because this it was during whenever MacGruber or what was made, like 2007 or 2008 or something. So I was not watching. Um, Do you think that Vince wishes that Big Show was like more of a physical monstrosity? Like, <laughs> Wait, like Andre like, was? Uh, like uglier? Or? No, just like like andre like just huger just more of an actual giant he's like oh you're a giant like i guess but i wish you were wish your hands could crush basketballs <laughs> maybe yeah i mean he's like because he seems kind of almost like he's like a handsome big show is a handsome giant like he's not really he intimidated me as a kid but watching him as an adult, like he just seems like like his outside of the ring backstage persona, he such seems like such a nice person. Yeah, that his intimidation factor is low. So the people featured in McGruber are Great Kali, Chris Jericho, Mark Henry, MVP Kane, and Big Show. <laughs> and they all die. They blow up. If you, if at, at the start of it, McGruber has to get like a crew together, and they they are all in like a helicopter and MacGruber causes the helicopter to blow up somehow. So they all die. Re- Jericho is the only one with a speaking line. I remember really enjoying that movie when it came out. Yeah. I, I, we rewatched it. I liked it. I think more now than I did then. I think there's a, there's been a, a some, some movies that flew under the radar that are really funny. Like, um, that and, um, she came together or sorry, they came together with Paul Rudd and, um, Amy Poehler. Oh yeah, and yeah. um, oh, uh, pop star, never stop, never stopping. Oh yeah, I like yeah, that's a good one too. Like totally. the, I just I don't, I don't hear a lot of people talking about them very often. No, and I, I think at the time when I saw Gruber, I wasn't a Will Forte fan, but then Last Man on Earth made me a Will Forte fan. I need to watch that. My friend Alexis is always telling me to. Really good. Uh, second match of this night: Taguchi v Sonata, and I love. Kevin Kelly, big match to Gooch. He keeps <laughs> keeps calling Taguchi big match to Gooch. So fucking funny. It was great to see Sonata back in action too. I remember yeah. like seeing him, like he was the person I saw. Like I thought he was Okada at first when I saw him back in the day when I was just getting into New Japan. But he had this huge like mane of blonde hair and like a beard. It was just such an like original look I hadn't seen from anybody else. And just the certain like his sort of like uh surname or like you know cold skull sonata is such a cool full name that is super and then like coupled together like with the mask that he wears to the ring his dark souls-esque boss entrance music yes all of that together like he he's so clearly like the one of the next big people for new japan yeah man you still think he's gonna go the the distance in the uh in the cup I think he's going to win. I think he's going to lose to Naito, though, because I didn't know I because I, I hadn't been listening to the English commentary and didn't really read too much prior to the cup. I didn't realize that at Dominion, both belts were going to be defended because before oh. this, at the start of the year, Naito had talked about how you could challenge for one belt that he'd kind of there was an interview that was translated where it was kind of like, well, why would I put both belts on the line? I'm going like you like I'm going to put one on the line. And I guess that maybe was for the story with Kenta where it's like well Kenta kind of crashed in. He didn't necessarily deserve that title shot, but he demanded the title shot. Right. And he 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 lost his never open weight belt on the same night that he challenged for the double championship belt. Classic heel move, but not something that was really deserving from Kenta. 
You know, what, and so what, I just assumed going forward, Naito would defend one or belt or the other. This won't happen, but what would be cool is if they did like a two falls match, and it was for both belts. So then, if Sonata could win the first fall and win the Intercontinental Championship, but then lose the second fall and not win the IWGP, I uh, really love that. I could imagine that. That to me, that's actually an interesting thing to throw out. I. I I don't know. Yeah, that, I could imagine that happening with Okada. Like Okada wins his belt back because he takes Vando to the absolute limit. Yeah, but I guess the second belt would be the IWGP belt, and I don't think that they're gonna want. I don't know. I don't think they'll keep the double champion thing going. I think Naito will just eventually drop one of his belts. I still think he might drop it to Sonata, but if Sonata is gonna win this and then he goes on to challenge Naito at Dominion, I think Naito for sure retains there. Yeah, like without without question. I don't think he's dropping both belts to Sonata. But uh, that would be kind of a star-making moment for Sonata, right? Because he's never won anything of that size before, like the New Japan Cup. He has just been a tag champion. Right. What? Who are some of the other winners of the New Japan Cup? I'm sorry, you told me before, but I forgot. Uh, ZSJ won in 2018. And then challenged Okada and lost? Yes. And then in 2019, Okada won. And then... Instead of, if I'm remembering correctly, I think Dominion was replaced for the G1 Supercard, or if Dominion happened, the New Japan Cup, the challenge didn't happen there, because Okada won the New Japan Cup against Sonata in one of my favorite matches from last year, then went on to challenge Switchblade Jay White at Madison Square Garden. Yes, and won. And yeah, he won there, and that was incredible to be present for, and just to see... I don't know, man. Yeah, seeing New Japan, that was the, my first New Japan experience in person. First was the G1, was the G1 Supercard at Madison Square Garden. And to be second row in a crowd of fans screaming Rainmaker as Okada hits the Rainmaker. And I, I've never, um, I mean, I, I yell and chant at shows and like I'm very engaged. It's one of my favorite things about going to wrestling shows, not necessarily being a person that co-ops the show and starts chants, but being a part of the crowd and sort of the live experiences, something that I really love about professional wrestling. And I think mainly because it reminds me of, you know, going to punk shows, which I also really like to do. And oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. That, yeah. And like that, that connection to the, like the crowd, I feel like to me, like an ECW show has, has that feeling of like a punk show feels like you're at, you know, a concert more so than maybe <clears throat> a WWE show. And the New Japan crowd at Madison Square Garden was fucking wired. <laughs> and there's never been a time where I have like, I don't necessarily, I'm not someone who's in the crowd doing like people's taunts along with them. You know, like in the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe in the 1990s I did that as a kid. Like I definitely, when the Bushwhackers came out in the early 90s, I was definitely doing the Bushwhackers dance. <laughs> like, absolutely, yeah, doing that ridiculous. Dude, I fucking loved the Bushwhackers. I think Vince McMahon uh, stole his walk from the Bushwhackers. Okay, just yeah, a, it's very similar, actually. Bushwhacker, basically. <laughs> but, like, that, when Okada hits the Rainmaker at the end, I, like, jumped out of my seat and did his Rainmaker pose, along with everyone else around me. Yeah. And it just felt there's this like palpable energy where it's like we want Jay White to lose his belt and we want this to be Okada, Okada's night and Okada's win, and it was, and it was incredible. Do you think the Rainmaker and, is a little bit? Um, I don't know. It's not quite as epic as it was when he was on that two-year winning streak with the belt. 
Like it felt like the the biggest move in professional wrestling at that time. Oh, you, I thought you were kind of going in on the gimmick. You just mean the. I mean the literally just itself? the finishing move. Like I feel like um, two years ago, yeah, it was like the it was the biggest move, and now it just it doesn't feel as big anymore. Maybe it still feels big. Maybe I just haven't. It's interesting that you feel that way, though. Yeah, I I it still feels like. Okada still feels like the final boss of New Japan, even though Naito is the double champion. Right. He's the he's like the kind of like Lesnar of New Japan. Yeah, kind of. That's I was just gonna make that comparison. Just it, it just purely in terms of like mo- devastating moves that maybe have been overexposed or used a lot, but it's still like I still think it holds that power because it's like if Brock Lesnar hits an F five, it could be the end of the match. Or if we're if they're getting into like building someone up a little bit, maybe maybe they absorb it and go on. Same thing with Okada and the Rainmaker. It's like what am I gonna need to do? to do this move and i like that he has variations of it where it's like the full move you know he has to have wrist control roll you up throw that haymaker but then there's other like lighter versions of it where it's just like you know his kind of a standing clothesline rainmaker i think maybe that's why i think it's because it has like i've seen it used as more of a transitional move sometimes um, yeah i don't know i can see what you i mean. think it's just the it was just okada had that aura to me during that series with kenny there was like three matches in a, in a row that he won and it really didn't seem like he was going to lose. And he had the belt for over 700 days. And I guess, did you miss, you might, I think you, cause last year's G1 was the first G1 you watched, right? Yes. Like fully. Yeah. Cause the previous year, Okada's like kind of dive into madness was pretty incredible. Yeah. Where he dyed his, dyed his hair red, brought balloons to the ring. Went on a losing was kind streak. Kind of just on a losing streak. Yeah. I just think like, and then his return, like he he started wearing pants again, and then he would get a pop because he when the return pop when he was wearing the trunks again was incredible, and uh, when his hair was dyed back blonde, then he would return to sort of himself. I think like just seeing that trajectory of like this dominant, insanely over dominant champion, then he goes he goes down on this losing streak, and then builds himself back up holds the IWGP belt for long enough for it to feel important for Naito to then take it away from him as double champion. I think it's kind of, it's, it's, I mean, we talked a lot about it either last week or the week before, but just the nuanced storytelling in New Japan where all of those different things, all of that was not even mentioned when we were talking, we opened up uh, the show talking about my experience watching Naito's rise to right. uh, double champion status. Yeah, we talked There's more all about this. Naito than we did about Okada. And there's all of this stuff that's sort of a part of the a, a part of the story, part of the universe, just not necessarily like you know the main sort of. I think that's why uh, though it's focus. it's that he did like kind of have that fall to madness, and he did come back. But maybe I just didn't think he was as good. Maybe just because his second reign was kind of short and stuff. Um, he seems fallible to me in a way that he didn't a couple of years ago. Yeah, I I I agree with that actually, and I I'm interesting to see where he goes from here because originally I thought that Okada would have the belt back this summer because he was representing New Japan in the Japan Olympics, well, in the Olympics uh, that are ha- taking place, we're going to take place in Japan this year. So in my mind, it's like you well, you would want Okada to have a belt when he's going to represent the company, right? At the Olympics, I think he's going to carry the torch, like that lights the torch. Part of this, I don't wow. know anything about the Olympics, but uh, yeah, <laughs> he apparently different uh, per- sports personalities. From the very, very, very tiny, small reading I've read, different sports personalities carry the torch to light the torch 
to start the ceremonies as the opening ceremonies and he was going to be one of the people that was doing that it was like him and mario right Mar- mario who <laughs> super mario because <Super> mario. <laughs> what <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> i'm just thinking of like japan's like two two biggest uh entertainment icons uh Okada and Mario. Well, sports icons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you like broke my brain there. For yeah, a well, Mario uh, and Sonic go to the Olympics every year. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, dude! Well, and the night three brought us Shingo versus Show rematch. Also, which this match was one of the ones I was looking forward to most, just from how hard they went at the best of the Super Juniors. And man, this match delivered for sure. This was my second favorite match of the tournament so far, definitely. I did not think Shingo was losing. When he hit the pumping bomber, I actually like was so certain he would win that in my notes for this episode, I wrote pumping bomber really big and for the three yeah. and then had to go back and delete it because yeah. show kicks out. I have a big kick out in bold written next to the pumping bomber. Yeah, huge kick out. Incredible to see that too. Just like, I don't know, like the fact that they're building show up in this way, like I don't think there was a plan to book show in this way but this is this to me is what makes new japan just such an incredible promotion to follow because last year show put on a banger with against shingo and i remember a friend of mine i was at a comic fest what at last year's new japan cup and uh a comic friend of mine mentioned how good shingo and show was and i was surprised just because it's like oh this random tag member from Rapunky 3k put on this banger match with Shingo, and then we get this rematch a year later, where Sho now gets to challenge for the never open weight title. I love that part of New Japan. You told me about this that if you beat a title holder in a tournament, if you get a or, or in a tag match, I guess I'm not sure you get a, a shot at their title. Yeah, I love that. That's a part of New Japan's booking, where like if in the G1 someone beats a champion, like they obviously don't get the belt because it's the G1, but they do get a future title shot, which is something that I I think I overlooked in my booking of the bracket, basically, because this is one of the one, one of the 14 out of 16 opening matches I guessed right. This was one of the ones I guessed wrong, uh, but simply because I was just thinking, well, Shingo versus Sonata is like a crazy pairing in that second round. And if they're telling the story of, I was thinking more so from story perspective, Sonata versus Shingo. But it's almost better because then if he does clash with his LIJ members, it can happen maybe a little bit later in the tournament, like in the semifinals. Yes, absolutely. Um, Do you have that set to happen again? Like another collision between um, Sonata and LIJ? Yes, I do. Yeah. Sonata, I have in my finals, this is off the top of my head, but I think in my finals I have uh, Hiromu v. Sonata. I kind of went all in on the LIJ booking. Yes, in the in the semifinals, I have Sonata versus Evil. There we go. Which I think I think makes more sense as in that terms being of the like, first match to show the descent between LIJ because they're they've been tag champions together. They have been used as a tag team, and I think that you know that makes sense. This is sort of yeah his descent away from LIJ. But yeah, this match so sick. Show wins and puts on. A crazy match that this whole night I kind of forgot about the crowd again. Like we don't need the crowd in New Japan. I actually and not even because it, uh, not even like an East versus West thing where it's like, well, the J- Japanese crowd's more respectful because the Japanese crowd, whereas while they are respectful, they still pop huge for stuff and are 
I would say they're more consistently loud. Not loud, but um, they're more consistently like yelling things yes. out. Like they're always ye- they're constantly like yelling their. And they're very much a there. part of the sort of layering atmosphere of the event where I feel like they are integral. And like earlier in earlier, I was mentioning how the crowd. Uh, in Flair versus Steamboat really adds to the story of the match. I feel like in New Japan, they are very much a part of these big moments happening. Um, and I have not noticed them. Uh, it, it was particularly, I feel like we would have heard and seen that a lot in ZSJ versus Ibushi. Man, this was also crazy. Excellent. Yeah. So going into this, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. had, it seems like this is happening a lot in this tournament, but a ZSJ has two wins over Kota. The last time they clashed. Yeah. And he defeated, Ibushi defeated ZSJ twice in the New Japan Cup. Oh, okay. Maybe that and was. And I loved at the start yeah. of this match that Ibushi was kind of forced to work a more map based style where ZSJ always. Yeah, does Sabre's that. chasing him. He's chasing him around the ring, trying to grapple him at the beginning and just kind of bring him down to his world. I love the Kevin Kelly commentary call. Uh, in what sick laboratory of human suffering does Sabre concoct these yeah. moves? Hey. As, he, as he's putting them in all these different. Uh, uh, I love that he's grapples. referred to as the windy man also. Uh, the windy yeah, that, man? He's, he one. doesn't say that on commentary here, but that's like ZSJ proudly has said that just with his like long limbs and the way he sort of puts people in holds. <laughs> Did not get to see orienting with Napalm Death, ZSJ's finisher, but uh, we did get to see Ibushi win with a Kamagoye, which I was... I personally like I like Ibushi, but he's not someone that I would consider a favorite of mine on the roster. But I was really rooting for him in this match, even though ZSJ, I prefer in terms of a fan, I'm much more of a fan of ZSJ than Ibushi. So we can see the long term Ibushi story kind of being told. And we're sort of in the, I would say, middle of it, early middle, probably. So Ibushi won the G1 last year, which you were very, like, confused about. (laughs) Um, but then only ended up challenging on night one of Wrestle Kingdom versus Okada, lost against Okada, and then night two was all about Okada versus Naito. So got kind of got a little bit lost in that story. So I feel like in a couple years, he's going to get his big Wrestle Kingdom redemption, probably. And then you'll probably be more into him at yeah, that Yeah, we're point. seeing the long-term play out for Ibushi right now. Yeah, because he's, he, and he, we know he will be because he signed uh, for, like forever contract 10 years basically. or something yeah. like his, his life. That's a really good point. Yeah. I, yeah, I think just like, I love his matches and, you know, he's incredible to watch. The stuff he attempts is insane. He's so smooth. His neck is crazy. The abuse it could take. Yeah. Made of iron. Um, just not someone that I've always, I've ever been that excited about. Uh, um, That's kind of how I feel about Naito, yeah. honestly. And, I think it's mostly because of his look. Like he doesn't like he's got a weird like mane of hair, and he always How wears a like, trucker hat or something like that. <laughs> is are you is your hair modeled after? Uh, I, my hair, I would say my hair is definitely modeled after New Japan wrestlers for sure. I don't think specifically Naito. Like maybe a cross section okay. of uh, Sonata and Onita. Um, I mean, oh, forever I modeled my hair after 70s punks like Richard Hell, Johnny Thunder, etc. And, you know, Onita yeah. is very influenced by punk. So his hair was modeled after those same people. And just over time, it's kind of transitioned into instead of looking to like, you know, Stiv Baders and Richard Hell, I'm looking to Onita, Sonata and the New Japan roster for hair tips. I like it. 
another last match of one of these nights that was kind of a baffling choice after the matches we'd watched before, uh, in my opinion. But I guess when you have the ace, Tanahashi is probably going to make the main event. Uh, he faced off against Taichi. I thought this match was all right. Yeah, I well, I I I know you didn't totally love this match. Um, the match is what I thought it was going to be, which was like just dominant heel tactics throughout. Ta- Tana- Tanahashi, right. I feel like is best when he is challenged athletically, and that's not what this match was going to be. Like, I feel like when he has someone like Ibushi, there was an incredible match. I think I'm going to make you watch that, or have you watch that? <laughs> You're gonna make you watch this match. Yeah, I love to get anything that kind of like uh, colors my perspective like of the rest the current a New bit Japan more. roster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but th- this match, yeah, classic heel tactics. Not a lot to say about it for for me personally, apart from the fact that um, I thought Tai Chi was gonna win, and he did. And I don't know. Yeah, like uh, I, I feel like Tanahashi takes a lot of losses. Yeah, he's the. I mean, he's the ace of New Japan. He's like between, he still goes hard, but I feel like he's between, he's Chris Jericho's, he's New Japan's Chris Jericho, basically. He's not, he's not a, okay. he's not New Japan dad status and he's not, you know, tearing it up with Ibushi, but he does, but he does sometimes tear it up with Ibushi. So like, you know, I feel like he's in between the two worlds. I one the one thing I will say about this whole match is Kevin Kelly on commentary fucking hates tai chi is disgusted by him and then in night four addresses it so he must have had people tweeting at him and saying things to him because he says on night four something along the lines of i meant every word i said last night like tai chi is despicable and i don't (laughs) condone anything he did to tanahashi and what did he do to Tanahashi? Well, just uh, Tai Chi, like, throwing Tanahashi into the guardrail, fucking him up, kind of, like, using using chairs, using weapons, using heel tactics to win a match in the New Japan Cup. I didn't hear him this disgusted about Gato when he was taking it to Okada. See, and I didn't, listen to the, or I didn't listen to the English commentary on that one. Um, okay. But that's an interesting inconsistency. Uh, I'm just, I'm sure Tai Chi's done more. Well, no, this is, was only in regards uh, to what Tai Chi did to Tadahashi in the match. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't remember a lot about it, but also we've been watching so much, so that's not Dude, surprising. overall, Night 4 can be summed up <laughs> by Kevin Kelly's incredible call at the start of Goto versus Yujiro, which was certainly not the marquee matches we had last night. In the most exasperated <laughs> voice I have ever heard him ha- have, like he never, he never well, he's, is down on anything like that. He's fifteen out of sixteen matches, or no, probably like nineteen out of twenty matches going here. So he's going pretty strong. Um, uh, this was the first night you had sent me your grades before I watched it, and you gave a lot of C pluses. So I ended up only watching two matches from this night, which was uh, Chaos versus Lij. And Kojima versus Evil. Well, in Chaos versus Lij, what a great, what great psychology and storytelling in that match with the start, uh, Hiromu coming out and looking absolutely terrified of Yano. He literally goes on all four legs like a dog on the ramp and is just kind of shaking. To which I was like, did Yano like treat him like a dog or something? And like I mean, that? basically, yeah, he abused him, he cut his lion? hair when he was a young lion, and you know. 
Hiromu's scared and his big brother Shingo was there to protect him. Like yeah, I absolutely love that sort of like booking. Like Shingo comes in hard, like pounds the fuck out of show, just like goes in hard on show <laughs> and then is kind of like trying to encourage Hiromu to face Yano. And then when he finally does, Hiromu has Yano up for like a kind of like a Canadian destroyer off the apron, but Yano holds on. And Shingo is on the ground, like, encouraging Hiromu to throw down the Canadian Destroyer. Like, come on, you could do this. Like, do it. Put him down. But he, he doesn't yeah. do it. And then that's what leads to um, Yano and Hiromu fighting up to the uh, arena and Hiromu being tied up. Which brought us the incredible visual of Shingo and Naito carrying Hiromu backstage. Like, I screenshot <laughs> a few of those and sent them to you and Thomas just because, I don't know, that... That visual was really funny to me. I remember, yeah, I remember this is like, it was, I thought it was building to be a, a good match. And then it just kind of ended in the backstage where Yano just ties up Hiromu, like tapes his legs. And then they both get counted out, which was weird. I thought like he was going to like time up and then run back and like get in the ring. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a weird ending. Kind of took a little bit away from Yeah, me. I think it's just that kind of, I think y- Yano telling the story of Yano's kind of fucking with Hiromu psychologically more so. Like, he doesn't care about the match. He just cares about tormenting Hiromu. Because Okada... Yeah. You, you know, one thing I thought of while we, I was watching this match was, like, Okada runs out and is, like, tapping Yano to get back to the ring, like, right as they're counted out. Like, we need to, you need to get back to the ring. We're going to lose. You don't often see a lot of the New Japan wrestlers talk to each other like that. I, I don't... I'm not really sure, like... I can't think... I was trying to think of other times where you see them interact in that way where people on the same team, like the Bullet Club, you see that a lot, where they're kind of like making, it's maybe seen more from the heels than the faces, I would say. Like the face faction, mm. I don't know, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing that I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, like I don't, I feel like you don't see the faces interact too much with each other in that way. Um, but yeah, really overall, this night was not, I mean, as Kevin Kelly summed up, not a marquee night, like, Yo, Yo versus Bushi was, I thought that to me was going to be like, the, maybe that would be great. But yeah. it was kind of like just a mediocre match. It wasn't as hard. It wasn't as fast paced as I thought it would have been. I don't care about Yoshihashi like most people. And Tenz, Tenzan is cool, <laughs> but like. Remember that video of that woman or that. that crying over Yoshihashi. Like, he was just, he always tries his best. And she's like literally getting choked up i'm like i can't believe there are fans of even the most tertiary yeah wrestlers totally. in japan who go that yeah hard. that match i mean the only note i wrote about it was it was not the most exciting match it wasn't and i thought yoshihashi would win and he did i loved kojima that was really good yeah that was one that i suggested you watch these guys were going hard on each other evil traps kojima's arm in a chair and smashes it against the oh my god yeah to the point where like his right arm is kind of out of commission for most of the match. He's trying, he wants to get a lariat with his right arm, but he, he kind of can't, but he's getting machine gun chops on Kojima from Kojima on evil in the corner. He's got him trapped and just like, it was a a hard hitting match again. Kojima hit that huge DDT onto the apron. Yes. And evil Bronco bustered Kojima in the corner. And then a second rope, uh, Koji cutter. Yeah. uh, Kojima on evil. I thought that was going to be the end actually. Yeah, Ko- Kojima has some wild lariats. Like, just the, the hard-hitting, like, definitely brought a similar energy to the finals from night two, Suzuki yeah. and Nagata. Um, 
evil blocks a right arm lariat, then goes off the ropes, gets hit with an even bigger left one that turns him inside out, flips over, and then Kojima finally hits the huge right arm lariat. And then, and, uh, ultimately, the evil counter... No, evil one. Kojima didn't win. Oh, you're right. Sorry. Yeah. I literally watched <laughs> this like an hour ago, and I forgot. I like that you, like, in your head, it's like, I'm all in on Kojima. He hits the lariat. He wins. <laughs> he goes on. But dude, he didn't win. What are you talking about? This, this is the same guy who developed Metal Gear Solid, right? Kojima? Yeah. He did? Hideo, it, <laughs> what? No, that's Hideo Kojima. Is that a joke? Oh, yeah. Is that like a, some sort of fucking nerd joke, Mark? <laughs> My bad, man. I, I don't know enough about that to... No worries, dog. Joke. I just said that the wrong guy won the match, so... Uh, yeah, evil counters and throws it down and everything is evil for the win. Uh, making yeah. that the 14 out of 16, right, for the first round matches. Excited right. to watch the second round. Me too, man. There's it's it's up with English commentary. Oh, it tonight. is cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm excited to see that. And totally, so good to have New Japan back. And you know, it's wild because we've been so. I feel like you, me, and Thomas have been so excited about New Japan. I'm excited that you're like actually watching all of this New Japan stuff. And then just me and Thomas, obviously super fans of New Japan. So I feel like we've uh, put AEW on the back burner over these last these last two shows, basically. Yeah, it's weird that we haven't been talking that much about AEW because I've been you've now forced me to watch Dark as well, so I can keep <laughs> up with these with these QT Marshall storylines and these things of this nature, but also just to hear all the great Taz calls. Yeah, um, well, and not, it's interesting they bring QT up right at the start. I am a fan of <laughs> QT now. I know you said you there, there was definitely a point where I think you said something like. I don't give a fuck about QT Marshall. And like the, I couldn't care less about a match <laughs> between, between the Natural Nightmares and Brandon Cutler and Librarian. Um, I, I Okay, in a vacuum, sure. All that stuff, sure. But it's just in the sense of like these people getting screen time over like Sunny Kiss or, you know, I don't know. People who are on Dark who... You know what? Because of the Natural Nightmares, it was because they were a tag team. The tag team division is about 18 deep right now. So that's why. I was like, do we really need QT Marshall competing for the AEW World Tag Team titles when you have FTR, Butcher and the Blade, Lucha Brothers, Young Bucks, Best Friends, um, and many others? Um, They seem like a dark tag team to me, not like a dynamite tag team. I think that's how they've been used, I guess, apart from their tag title match. I'm enjoying this very slow build as Allie at ringside is just like tapping Brandy on the shoulder and then they cut away. I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to take? Yeah, the storyline's pretty whack, but like, I don't know. Overall, I've been overall within from COVID to now, like I... I liked I I liked QT because of his backstory and that like he was never given a chance and now he's given a chance and just the stuff he's like attempting I don't know it's great and him and Dustin have been ripping it up on dark uh overall I just wish it was Billy Gunn and Dustin Rhodes that to me is that's the natural and that's nightmares a, that's a very sick tag team that's that's really like for, in terms of attitude era nostalgia and just pure like two big veterans fucking up someone like it'd be cool to see like two huge dudes like them against like some smaller current teams like uh private party uh and just putting them over like 
they should be a put over tag team. They shouldn't be the number one contenders. Yeah, I agree that's, with that. That's my that's just that's just me and I don't know, when people are booked a little too strong who are like close friends with the EVPs. I don't know. Well, now that you've watched uh two weeks of dark, what are your thoughts on it overall? I love the pacing of dark. I love that it's a match and then it's just suddenly here's a graphic for the next match and then basically we're into it. Um I think it would work better as a 45-minute format than the hour-long ones. I get pretty burnt out by by the end when it's an hour and a half, especially when we're watching a Dynamite either the next day or the, maybe the same day, depending on when we're watching it. Um, but it is great to see, like, the, the okay, we have to go back now, but AW Dark, June 16th, so two weeks ago, first match was Jurassic Express versus Capital Vices, and it was awesome. It was like a huge quality match like luchasaurus is doing the deadlift wheelbarrow german suplex <laughs> huge headbutts on the other huge guy i don't even know who capital vices is they have road warrior spikes made out of freddy krueger claws yeah that was that was pretty cool I, and i loved that. they're like the, the 25th tag team in aw like there are so many tag teams dude yeah uh taz made the call uh about capital vices having gimmicks everywhere because one of them's named Money and the other's named Sin. Something they were wearing was different than the spikes. It seemed like they were like six gimmicks in one. Kind of your Tai Chi can play it as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's like you gotta pick one and stick to it. Also, another great Taz call. Marco called something out and uh, Taz is like, It's very stupid of Marco to say what he's gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking loved that. Taz not a fan of the uh, PWG indie callout style. That ha- That actually... I guess the Bucks maybe are the only ones that have maintained doing that consistently where they'll yell, call it a super kick or right. like say see ya, like those kinds of things that I feel like are maybe more of a indie PWG thing than a like professional wrestling Traditional thing. wrestling thing. Yeah. Like generally don't give your opponent the chance to counter exactly what you're doing. But then again, like Randy Orton's, I was like scouting them in the corner and stuff. And doing Roman Reigns taunts. is doing his like, Ooh, ah. and you hear the whole crowd. Yeah. You would think if like, you would think with that specifically and with that kind of psychology with Roman Reigns and the crowd yelling, Ooh, ah, like the person would just roll out of the ring. Like, yeah. I don't know not... where the spear is coming from, but I'm going to leave. Totally. Um, yeah, this night, like there was, it's funny cause this was the first dark you watched and I felt it was too long. Also it was 11 matches, which is, that is a lot of matches lot to of matches. sit and watch. Even as someone who was getting work done while I was watching these 11 matches, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I, I think it's good just in terms of getting everyone like out in the ring and wrestling and we're all getting more familiar with different characters, different people. The next match was uh, SCU versus Librarian and Brandon Cutler. Speaking of another classic tag team. Dude, Librarian, I, Cutler and, and Librarian. But yeah, I th- I would put them on the main. Like to me, they have done so much good work in on Dark and with their story that they are no longer just like a paired up random jobber team. Like they're a good low level team. Like, Well, they're the idea of teaming up because they've never won is a good one. Uh, but then they also never win as tag team, so I don't know if you can include them as like a main roster if they've never won a match. I just think they seem like more of a team. I don't know. They seem as much of a team to me as Hangman and Omega do. 
bold statement. Uh, I love. I'll, how I'm not putting. The, I'm not saying that like they're throwing down <laughs> mat- matches in the way the best bout machine and his friend Hangman are. But like, I'm just trying to separate the wheat from the chaff in the tag team division because there's so many fucking tag teams. There's so you, much, yeah. and you want to call up Cutler and Librarian? Like, I think they're exactly where they should be. I give um, them, give them a chance, man. Like, they're I don't know. They they put up their tag. Their du- tag double team moves are some of my favorite. In I actually like. I, it's gotten to the point where I enjoy seeing Librarian now. Where I can't I, believe that. Yeah, same. Yeah. So it looks like Scorpio Sky is getting a singles push, which is fantastic. So, you know, uh, Sammy Guevara is suspended for some shitty comments he made. And Jimmy Havoc is, is, is in rehab. Um, so we have a couple extra spaces opening up. And I hope they, they start pushing people like organic homegrown talents like Scorpio Sky. Um giving them more screen time, sunny kiss, like I said before. Yeah, and he had he headlined this dark against Robert Anthony. And the match wasn't great, but like No, it wasn't. It's really cool to see Scorpio Sky getting more of a singles push. He doesn't need to be in SCU anymore. I mean, I know that's like a historical thing. Like they're they've done a lot together outside of AEW, but SCU needs to like they were the first tag team champions in AEW. They need to now kind of like gear down. Let it be Daniels and Kaz. Again, they should be a development tag team. Like, these are old people putting on great matches with young up-and-comers. Um, I love how, t- again, Taz is talking to X. He's like, you know, I never really liked Daniels just between you and me. And <laughs> X is like, you have a live mic in front of you. <laughs> yeah, T- Taz and Excalibur are really good together. They're a great team. I love that. It's nice to see Daniels um, getting back to work. Yeah, and he's he's doing like I mean his like being paired up against like Cutler and Librarian, two people who can go and are very agile, I think is good. Like keep putting Daniels with like younger versions of various forms of, of various versions of himself, basically. That's uh, yeah, totally. Like that's that's what this match felt like to me. And then on commentary they finally addressed something that has been confusing me for a while. X talked about the concept of the ten counts to leave the ring after a pin so like there's a pin attempt the other team runs in to like break it up they have 10 seconds the other partners basically to like stay in the ring um that kind of oh yeah right clear clears a little bit up for me it was good seeing them actually execute that like that's what i'm just talking about like i understand there's gonna be run-ins and stuff but it would just be nice to see the ref being like one too like in the same way as when you're choking someone you only get like five seconds on the ropes there's been a few times over these last two weeks where the ref's just given up the count (laughs) <laughs> like it's just been like fuck it i guess no oh i'm not gonna disqualify these guys so yeah i can't I, yeah i'm not gonna end this match so i might as well stop counting uh, I, I think i have too many taz uh calls written down here but i also have <laughs> <laughs> wait just for this match alone no no just in general like every match i have a taz <laughs> taz call but he's like he's like male male librarians they cut corners <laughs> fact female ones they're all right but the male librarians the cheaters. <laughs> I loved that. He's he's exactly as inflammatory as Jericho is. Yeah, um, I yeah, I love love Taz on commentary. I think he he's doing a great job transitioning. Prior to him managing Cage, he was a very mild mannered announcer, and I know I mentioned this in a few of our conversations, but I love that he's kind of incorporated the heel gimmick into his commentary, where now he's still giving us these great backgrounds on all of the different wrestlers and why they're important, why they're here. That's the thing that I think Taz really excels at is selling the importance of some random jobber. As long as he's, as long as he's provided like notes and stuff, 
he can really like sell who you're talking to. And then in other other instances, he gives good critiques, like two capital vices who seem like a cool tag team. It's like, well, homogenize some of this. We don't need seven seven gimmicks. Give us like yeah. two of the seven things that you're throwing at us right now. Totally. Uh, I have here that Brendan Cutler and the librarian break up, so there goes their main roster run for you. No. The, well, what do you mean they break up? Like in the match? Just what the, my notes here are. That no, they always segment. do that. Yeah, that's that's not happening. They're attacking. That's like team. when you. That's like when you tell somebody that like they're like someone their friend broke up with their girlfriend, and they're like, "Yeah, that's not gonna last." Yeah, it's just like that. That's their thing. They they constantly. I didn't yeah, they constantly okay. are going back and forth. Eventually, it's gonna lead to some kind of epic big match. Uh, but yeah, they're constantly just kind of like fighting, arguing, going back and forth. The rest of this dark. I feel like the the mo the it's funny going back two weeks like the most notable the only other like really most notable thing to me from this dark was we that we got more dark order uh stuff like this is one of the first matches we got back from Uno and Grayson and that match was sick like I remember uh, watching this with you and thinking about how Uno and Grayson being a part of the dark order are so important and them being sort of the core they're such a great tag team together yeah they're really good. And that match was awesome. Like I I loved um Brody Lee coming out afterwards and he's just like staring at the ring with that like thousand yard stare and just but like kind of smiling, like nodding his head approvingly. Like this is what we've been waiting for from Brody Lee. And they did this, I think, kind of two weeks in a row. Did you see the mock ups that were posted of the Orange Cassidy action figure? No. Oh my god. Uh, the only only the hands and pants have been shown, but the figure is going to be able to put its hands in its pockets. Thank God. That's the only question I had. Dude, so what uh, What did you think of Dynamite from this week? Dynamite from this week was, if I could have picked Dynamite for somebody to watch, it would have been this one. Uh, such a spot fest. Like the first match, Luchasaurus versus Wardlow in the Lumberjack match. JR called it the battle of the monster trucks. Dude, what a go home show this was. Like, Unreal. oh my God, the opener was insane. Luchasaurus versus Wardlow, Lumberjack match. I think Lucha's my favorite kicker in the game. He just lays huge crossbody kicks with such ferocity. Um, then he gets stopped dead by a huge clothesline from the beast Wardlow. This thing is like, this is a, this is a hoss off for sure. Lucha. Hits some more kicks. Wardlow grabs him, delivers a huge belly-to-belly suplex, sends him flying. Then a massive superflex from Wardlow to Lucha as MJF bellows from ringside. My note here is just lots of beef in this ring. Dude, they throw down a Spanish fly in this match. It's nuts. How How is that possible? (laughs) These are two of the most agile beef machines in professional (laughs) wrestling right now. Like Hurricane Rana from Wardlow, Spanish fly from Lucha. And that's even before it gets out of the ring. And then they're just going up the ramp. I love uh, that Cutler is the only lumberjack that actually tries to get them back in the ring to the point that it seems weird that he's getting involved. Cutler and then Marco Stunt. Yeah, it's, they... it's like they remembered that lumberjacks were supposed to, like, push them back yeah, into the ring. And then like, that was their, the point of... Wardlow throws them both into the, into the crowd of assembled AW ringside. Uh, and then Lucha roundhouse kicks Wardlow off the ramp. He falls down, and then Lucha hits a fucking shooting star press. 
off the ramp onto the ground. Absolutely incredible that he did that. Insane. What th- this match was like a pay per view quality match. I agree. I agree, and it was um great to have the big men up instead of like an opening, just kind of like um. It was great to have a spot fast from big guys, is I think what I'm trying to say. We get a lot of tag openers on a on Dynamite, like yeah. banger tag openers. But yeah, uh, then the match ends with Wardlow low blowing Luchasaurus, press slam, then he wins. Yeah, it sort of gives it a little bit more ammunition to keep that feud going, which I'm all for because I was excited to see these two guys collide, and it did not disappoint. Sometimes you want to have two different styles, but this was a perfect matchup of hosses who also were just, like, wildly athletic. Did you notice, we didn't really talk about this, that Chuck and Trent were dressed as actual lumberjacks? (laughs) I did not notice that. Yeah, it was, like, only briefly shown a couple times. I only noticed it in a photo posted online afterwards, actually. We got another one of my favorite segments, which is uh, Taz breaking down a move except this time it was him on his boy brian cage he literally is like brian cage brings a perfect potpourri of agility speed rage technique <laughs> and he's just like see how he holds the victim up unless it's the, the blood pour into his brain before he hits him <laughs> with the drill claw he literally says that he literally is like the blood pour into the brain taz he's amazing is adding so much to brian cage Totally. Brian Cage is someone else like Lance Archer that I would think like just let him come out onto the roster. Doesn't need a manager. Like they're both beasts. Yeah, he, just let him be he, big beasts that are fucking And he people speaks up. reasonably well. Yeah. I would say Archer definitely is a better promo than Brian Cage, but um Totally. Both yeah, Jake the Snake and Taz I feel like are adding a lot in terms of just the content and sort of uh history that they bring to their roles as the manager Sheeta bringing some mox energy in her match uh totally she faces brawling with penelope right away tries to go ringside and brawl to brawl with penelope well it's a squash she pins red velvet and then just immediately runs out of the ring and just decks decks penelope and then decks kip sabian yeah and then tries to brawl it's really cool to see this kind of I don't know. I feel like not often they're like just booking Sheeta so great as champion. She she feels as important and as intense as Mox does. And this is another instance where like Sheeta's intensity makes you forget there's such a small crowd there. Like that felt like a big moment from any time, not just a big moment from COVID times. Totally. And it just reminds you of all those, yeah, those big moments that Mox and Kenny and Jericho and Cody have had all those brawls ringside. But when the the champion is just like unleashed and it was so cool to see that with with Sheeta, just another. Yeah, another peek at her character. After that, there was a Cody and Hager press conference where Hager didn't show up for most of it. So it was just Cody again delivering a sick promo, which is, yeah, on the verge of being a heel. Um, But then eventually Hager shows up. They have a little uh, they take a photo. Hager puts his fist on Cody's face. And then Cody slaps it away and they almost get in a big brawl in the press conference. That was awesome. It's great to see like um, NJPW style, like UFC press conferences. Yeah. I love that as an alternative to the sort of in ring wrestling promos that we normally get for title builds, like in every, in both AEW and WWE. Uh, Man, the Brody Lee and Cole Cabana versus Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss 
one of my favorite matches we've watched so much wrestling over the last like, couple of weeks one of my favorite yes, matches for sure the Unbelievable. Pr- pre-match promo was great like them riding in that cool car they get in a fight in a gas station and it's filmed better than every single one of the wwe cinematic matches yeah like, it's so funny and so good if that's what velveteen dream and adam cole have looked like that would have been so much better yeah it just looked like a cool fight scene from a, a tv show yeah like an actual tv show and not a wrestling tv show yeah the match was sick uh i love i've said it before i love sunny and joey together they're a great they're just they just complement each other so well um yeah, the amount of moves that happens in this match, like stereo moonsaults, then another match the two of them together have done stereo drop kicks. Sonny's 450 splash is insane. There's like, it's an absolute spot fest. This whole show, like, yeah, if you're someone that doesn't watch AEW, this would be a great show to jump in on, oh, especially pre Fighter Fest. It's so good. Eventually, uh, Brody Lee, who it's cool to see with Cole Cabana, like, Cole Cabana's like on the verge of joining the Dark Order, but like hasn't yet. And uh, Brody lets him take the pin and Colt gets the win. And you know what? He likes it. He likes it. And Brody he thinks he might be again, joining the Dark Order. Brody again, nodding approvingly. I just put this is so good. Yeah. And it makes sense just in terms of like, I guess kind of like earlier when I jumped to the Dark Order on Dark, it's like that's the main sort of one of the main stories right now. And it's great that we're getting Joey, Janela and Sunny Kiss together, but it makes sense to have uh, Dark Order get the win here at the end archer comes out sets up janela versus archer for night two of fighter fest which is going to be insane that is going to be so sick i can't wait to see janela unleashed uh match of the night for me was ftr versus scu absolutely it's a good match so good. uh i yeah and i love what it's set up i can't believe that we're getting it's ftr and the bucks versus butcher and blade and lucha bros oh yes you're right and they're also kind of feuding with lucha bros on twitter oh i didn't see oh right because i did see that take that back they need to to learn how to tag yeah someone asked ftr if they were excited to face lucha bros or something like that and that was their response they need to learn to tag yeah um this was great because again we're just thinking when are the young bucks and ftr going to collide and by making them tag together, that puts it off a little bit longer so we can wait till the the big pay-per-view, not the pay-per-view that's on TV, but like the next the next huge Yeah, all, all, uh, all out. The next match was Brian Cage versus the Jobber. Uh, not, nothing notable was a squash. The only thing that I'd never seen before is that Brian Cage actually power bombs the Jobber into the ring. Oh, that was is... crazy. Yeah, from the entrance. Yeah. Yeah, he's a beast. That was, that was sick. And then... Taz cuts a promo. Who knows what he says? Because we've watched so much of this. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember what he says. (laughs) Well, and then the last couple segments, Matt Hardy faces Santana, which was not like, probably out of all all the different stuff we watched, this was like, Matt Hardy versus Santana to me was like night four. This would have been been cut on the Hulu one hour. Yes. If there was one. That's a funny, yeah, totally. And then the, yeah. the ultimately Jericho Orange Cassidy face off. Orange Cassidy gets his ear busted open, seeing that he had to get stitches online. Man, uh, he got hit with the camera jib. That looked like such a brutal hit. Like blood was because he had cut his ear before with the uh, oranges, yeah, thing. Where but the blood was gushing from his ear. It was crazy, and they had like a sick uh, back, uh, not backstage, but. 
uh, out of the ring brawl together, totally. Jericho and Orange. Jericho, um, he super Superman punched Jericho from the crowd through into a table. That was the, <laughs> the ending of the thing. It was so sick. Jericho passed out in like a pile on the table was such a funny visual. Also, <laughs> yeah, this was uh, another great episode like of of Dynamite, like two in a row that were just killer. Fantastic. Yeah, and cannot wait for Fighter Fest Night One. So next up, I watched your classic match recommendation, which was Kazuchika Okada, the Rainmaker, versus the fucking shellless turtle Minoru Suzuki <laughs> at the 30th anniversary Great Pirate Festival. Uh, this is the first time I've seen an outdoor wrestling match with rain. Everyone's outside in raincoats and umbrellas. My, my, I'm thinking, how do you fight in a wet ring? Uh, that plays a little bit into the match later. Suzuki enters in white trunks and white shoes, rips off the white towel to reveal white hair. Rainmaker enters. I'll be honest, for a guy named the Rainmaker, doesn't look too psyched about the rain. <laughs> Bell rings, they're soaked immediately. Minoru is wiping rain off of his body. Okada's wiping water from his eyes. They lock up. Suzuki punches Okada, which seems to like activate him. They exchange big blows in the middle of the ring. They're soon outside. Raindrops are so heavy you can see them falling. Suzuki starts laying huge chops, kicks, and punches on Okada, who's just stumbling around the outside. They're back in the ring. Okada's still being punished. Suzuki lays kicks to the chest of Okada, who's on his knees, and begins a series of arm submissions on a prone Okada. Okada manages to reach the ropes. Suzuki hangs over the ropes and uses his legs to choke Okada on the top rope. And when the ref tries to count to five, Suzuki tries to pull the ref outside the ring to stop the count. He's the pirate around here. <laughs> Okada. What do you is... think of these visuals? Like just the whole show. What do you mean? Well, just the rain, the sort of presentation. Oh, am I not? Making it clear how dramatic this rain is. Well, no, you are making it very clear. I just am wondering what you actually th thought of the entire match, too. It's fucking cool. It's, like, weird to see Okada on the run for so much of a match. Totally. Like, he's holding his midsection from all the kicks and everything. He's trying to fight back. He runs off the ropes, but slips in the rain. And then Suzuki just gets him in another headlock. Like, he is on the defense, like, 80% of this match. It's a good point, actually. It's not some. It's not something you often see. No. So Suzuki goes up for the gotch pile driver, but Okada reverses it, hits him with a neck breaker. He wipes off the top turnbuckle, climbs up, goes for the elbow drop to maybe change the momentum in the match, but Suzuki rolls out of the way. Okada tries to punch Suzuki again, but he reverses it into another vicious arm breaker. Standing up, Suzuki ties Okada like a pretzel, stretches his arms. Suzuki is ruthless. He's just completely dominating the Rainmaker here. Okada edges towards the ropes with little baby steps and manages to just fall down and hit the ropes. Suzuki slaps Okada around, traps him in a headlock, goes for a suplex, but finally Okada reverses the momentum into a tombstone. But at this point, he can't he can't capitalize on it because he's so fucking exhausted from getting the shit beaten out of him. So they're both just lying on the wet mat. Okada's trying to summon his bearings. They're both up. Suzuki starts hitting Okada with devastating blows. After one, he's down. Suzuki picks him up by the arm, seemingly in control. 
but doesn't realize he's walking into a rainmaker from Okada. He goes for another rainmaker, but Suzuki ducks, but then Okada just shotgun dropkicks him in his back. And then he sends him into the ropes and kicks one of those crisp Okada dropkicks. Soon again, though, Suzuki's back in control, cuts Okada off at the knees by just grabbing him and wrestling him down. He lays open hand slaps on Okada, just a complete show of disrespect for the Rainmaker. He's he's gasping. He puts him in a headlock once again, goes for the gotch, which starts to be reversed until he reverses it back. He has Okada up. He's going to get the gotch, but no, Okada snaps down, twists him around, lays him out with another tombstone. This seems to be the end sequence of the match. Tombstone goes for the Rainmaker, but Suzuki slaps him away. And then Suzuki has Okada in a crazy arm breaker in the rope where he's actually wrenching his own foot to apply more pressure to Okada's arm. He's been working the arm and the midsection all match. And the Rainmaker taps out. It was a sick match, man. It's an A minus A for me. Uh, I loved it. I loved the imagery of, of the of the wet mat. You could see you could see pools of water. I loved when Suzuki uh, when Okada slipped because it was obviously just a botch. And but then Minoru used it to just kind of like keep him every time he seemed to be getting a little bit of momentum, boom, slips on the on the water. So yeah, it was crazy seeing like Okada, who is the biggest, you know, star in Japan, just kind of being taken to task by uh one of his elders. Yeah, that's partly why I picked this match and what I like about it is just watching two people who are experts deal with the most inconvenient possible circumstances for a match. <laughs> yeah. And then the match is still really good. The match and was it looks sick. really cool. Yeah. It's awesome. I and all I could think was like, man, it must be so uncomfortable for them getting hit by that rain. But it's just one of those things that like that adds to the aura of that match. Like it's that's a better match now, I would imagine. Because of the atmosphere, because of the visuals of that rain falling and how it, it just, it just ties into how brutal the match is and it helps Suzuki keep control. Yeah. I might not actually have picked this match had it not been for the rain. Yeah. Like it, yep. it may, maybe it would have just been like a fine match, like their match at Royal Quest last year. Yeah. Just another Okada uh, Suzuki match, but no, like. Seeing them outside, seeing just a sea of those like transparent raincoats and umbrellas and that huge uh, red brick building in the background. Like it just didn't look like any wrestling match I'd ever seen before. So sick. Loved your recount of it. Uh, Thank you. I I, I could listen to that for hours. You know how I said that it's sometimes it's a bummer to take notes. Yeah. Um, It wasn't a bummer at all. It felt like the words were just like falling out of my fingertips as I was watching it. Like it was the perfect... Like I want, like I, it's like I was a reporter who's like trying to ca- write it all down, and like capturing this, like, like the moment. atmosphere and moment. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, yeah. No, I think after this, I'm going to go back and watch. I d- I have I have wa- every match I've recommended you watch. I have watched in preparation yeah. to talk about it, but I didn't watch this one, and I'll have I'm I'm going to go back and watch it now though. Well, that's interesting because this one I'm recommending you. I have only seen half of it at this moment, um, and it's a wreck. It's that the first half is that good. Yes. Yeah. Is it Imperium versus Brizango from NXT TV on June 10th? How did you know? Well, uh, what is it actually? The year? 2005. Okay. The promotion. Ring of Honor. Definitely have not seen this. So now I've recommended one NWA match, one WWE match, 
and one Ring of Honor match. The matchup, Samoa Joe versus Kenta Kobashi. Oh my god. In a fucking battle of the strikes. Don't even need to see it to recommend it, right? Like, yeah, makes sense that you're, this is a suggestion. I love Samoa Joe and wish that he was featured more heavily and wish that back during that Clash of the Titans between him, Brock, Roman, and Braun, he won. So I am excited to see Peak Joe in Ring of Honor. Yeah, to me, he should have been sure he'd never be kind of the one guy but to me he should have been like the undertaker was in the attitude Era. champion for a while yeah like gets a, a championship run like is is in some matches with the with the big guys and ultimately goes down as one of the big players of the era but um because of bad booking which i assumed would be re- uh rectified at some point like he he had several roll-up pins in a row and he just looked like a fucking goof Right, like he looked like a big guy that if you if he fell down he wouldn't be able to get up, and that's not Samoa Joe, and yeah, so there's just not enough good Samoa Joe in WWE, so it's time to, um, and yeah, I think he's in his prime here. This was a couple years before the the match that uh, is one of my favorite matches, AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe versus Chris Daniels three way dance, one of the sickest matches of all time, one of my absolute favorites, the crystallizing match of our friendship. That's true, actually. When you sent me that on Facebook Messenger years ago, this guy knows what's up, and I think I just made my new best friend. Well, you know what? I still know what's up, and you're going to enjoy this Samoa Joe Kent Kabashi. Can't wait to hear your recap. I'll try and make it as... Dramatic? Yes, as yours. This has been another episode of the Torture Racked Podcast. You can follow my co-host, John F. Malta, at John F. Malta on all social media. You can follow me, Mark Bass, at Waste of Taste on Instagram. You can follow us at Torture Act on Instagram. Be sure to pick up both copies of Torture Act on our web store at www.torturact.com. Torture Act issue four, Tokyo Pororoso Dreamland, and Torture Act the first two years. Step into the world, Torture Act.